You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, it's good to be back. Um, had a great weekend down at uh, Redemption South last weekend as they uh, introduced um, two elders uh, who they're praying uh, God will use to help uh, direct the church there. Uh, thankful that Clint was here with us last week. And uh, as always, we uh, just want to uh, recognize that there's some folks joining us online as well. And so we uh, just welcome you. And if you want to indicate you're joining us uh, by just uh, putting a, uh, a comment on the platform you're using. Well, this morning, uh, I want to start with a question. Would you describe yourself as a warrior? Would you describe yourself as a soldier, as a a battler, as a fighter? Because we are at war. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, every single one of us are at war. And as I've been thinking about the church in the Western world as compared to a place like China, or as I look at the, the book of Acts and look at the church there, I, I see a lot of warriors. But I wonder if we would be better described as wimps. The church in Canada often has been guilty with a focus on self rather than on a lost and dying world. We view hardships as obstacles to our personal well-being rather than as opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. Rather than battling for souls, we battle over songs. We expect life to be easy rather than a battle. We think that the Great Commission is for a few dedicated people while everyone else lives for themselves. How many of you have heard the church referred to as a hospital? Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, and, and it's, you know, it's well-meaning. The idea behind that is that it's a place for spiritually sick people to get well. But I wonder if the analogy describes this all too well and that there's a bit of an inner focus rather than an outer focus, forgetting our mission to see the lost people saved. Dr. Lloyd-Jones put it like this. He said, as I read Romans, I see no suggestion whatsoever of a clinic. Now, Lloyd-Jones, if you know of him, he was a doctor, right? So he's a, he, he was a medical doctor and a pastor. He says, rather, I find a barracks, not a hospital, but a military center. What do I need? What do I find? I do not find a doctor here, as he looks at Romans. What we all need is not a doctor, but a sergeant major. Here we are, as it were, slouching about the parade ground, feeling our own pulses, feeling miserable, talking about our weakness. So we say, I need a doctor. I need to go to the clinic. I need to see the medical, I need to see the medical officer. But that is not right. What we need is to listen to the voice of the sergeant major who is there shouting out the commands of God to you. Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Yield yourself unto God. You have no business to be slouching about like that. Stand on your feet. Realize who and what you are. Enlisted in the army of God. Present yourself. This is not a clinic. He goes on to say the main trouble with the Christian church today is that she is too much like a clinic, too much like a hospital That is why the great world is going to hell outside. We have lost the concept of the army of God and the king of righteousness in this fight against the kingdom of evil. What can I do to be delivered, we tend to say. I answer, look at the great campaign. Look at it objectively. Look at it from God's standpoint. Forget yourself and your temporary troubles and ills for the moment. Fight in the army. It is not a clinic you need. You must realize that we are in a barracks and that we are involved in a mighty campaign. It's all about perspective, right? If you understand that you are in a war, then you're going to live differently. 
couple weeks ago, we watched Secret Church, reminded that over 3.2 billion people in the world have no gospel witness. So it's not like they, they are rejecting Christ. They've never even heard of Christ. 3.2 billion people in the world. In our own country of Canada, if you were born in, in, from 1920 to 1945, 62% of the people then went to church weekly. If you were born from 1997 to 2012, 22% of people go to church weekly. So a drop of 40%. And all we have to do is flip on the news to see that our country is no longer a Christian nation. We should not be surprised that ungodly people are making ungodly rules for our nation. We have failed in the mission. And we need to get back on the mission. We need to stop being distracted with other things and focused on ourselves and get focused again on the Great Commission, the mission that the Lord has given us. He's given us everything we need to fight the war, whereas we're going to see in the text this morning. We need to see that holiness is not optional. Our walk should match our talk. So this morning, I want us to be reminded that as the people of God, we are not left to ourselves, but we have been given the Spirit of God in this battle, and that we must fight until we enter our final rest with Him. Let me pray, and then we're going to get into it. God, we are so thankful for this time together this morning. We are so thankful that, God, you have given us everything we need in this war that we're in. God, we have so many enemies, enemies who would love to see us walk in rebellion against you. But God, you have given us weapons to fight in this battle. God, I pray that you would wake up the Western church. God, I pray that, Lord, we would be the warriors you've called us to be, that we would be singular focused as we see our brothers and sisters in places like China where they are about the Great Commission no matter what challenges come their way. God, we would pray that you would do the same here in Canada. God, help us to get our minds off of ourselves and on our many distractions and get our minds back onto you and onto the mission that, Lord, you've given us. Lord, we pray that you would use this time, Lord, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to spur us on, in our walk with you. God, we're so thankful that you've given us your spirit to help us to understand. You, Lord, you've given us your spirit to this preacher that he might proclaim your truth. God, we look to you. Use this time for your glory and your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at Romans 8, 12, and 13. Should be done in like 10 minutes, right? There's so much here in these two verses, and I want us just to set the context by looking back at what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and then looking ahead. Let's just go back to verse 9. I encourage you, look down into the Word yourself. That's what we're studying today. This preacher has nothing for you other than what God's Word says. That's, that's our authority. That's what we want to live under. This is our hope in the midst of this world. You, however, verse 9 of chapter 8 you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, our, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
This is such a rich section of Scripture, reminding us of who we are in Him. And this morning, as we think about this battle that we're in, this battle against the kingdom of evil, as we look at verses 12 and 13, I want us to first see that we must live consciously. We must live consciously. What I mean by that is you must be aware, you must understand who you are in Christ. Look again at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So then, based on all that I've just said, as we've just looked at, he's given this description to say, listen, if you are in Christ today, you have the Spirit of God living within you. If we have went back to verses 5 to 8, he showed us the characteristics of the Spirit. And what do people who have the Spirit in them do? They dwell on the things of the Spirit and not on the flesh. That is the pattern of their lives. And as a result, they have life and peace. This is who you are this morning, believer. You are a man or woman who has been filled with the Spirit of God if you've placed your faith in Him. So then, brothers. I love if you go through the scripture over and over again, you see Paul, and anytime he's about to say, hey, I want you to do something, he starts by saying, brothers, sisters, right? Like, we're in this together. I love you, and what I'm about to tell you is for your good and for God's glory. So then, brothers, here's what we ought to do. Here's what he wants you to understand. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Listen, when it comes to this life, And the fact that you have now been removed self from the throne and the Spirit of God now lives within you and Christ is on the throne, you don't owe the flesh anything. That's what he's saying here. You don't owe it anything. When it comes crying out to you and like, oh, please listen to me, do what I'm calling you to do, you just say, I don't owe you anything. Get lost. That's the picture here. You used to be slaves to your flesh. You had to obey it, but you don't owe it anything anymore in Christ. Do you know that? Do you wake up every morning understanding that? That you have a whole new identity as a result of being in Jesus Christ? Over and over again, we see this pattern in the scriptures. In the book of Ephesians, one through three, listen, this is who you are. Now live accordingly, verses four, chapters four to six. Even this book, with, it, with a few exceptions, Romans 1 right through 11 is like, listen, this is who you are. Now live like this, 12 through 16. And he wants to remind us again this morning that you are not debtors to the flesh. Your flesh is going to continue to cry out from now until the time you, you breathe your last breath. But listen, you don't owe it anything anymore. What is the flesh? Let us understand what that means. MacArthur puts it like this, the flesh is the ugly complex of human simple desires that includes ungodly motives, affections, principles, purposes, words, and actions that sin generates through our bodies. It's to live a life for self, it's to live a life of rebellion against God. And he says, you don't owe it anything anymore. And so as you wake up in the morning, as you groggily look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see the old man of the flesh? Or do you now see that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in you? Do you see a debtor to the flesh or of the Spirit who has freed you from the old chains of sin? Do you see yourself as condemned or do you see yourself as now not condemned, innocent before God? You see yourself as under judgment, or do you understand that you have now been justified through Jesus Christ? Are you dead in your sin, or are you now alive in Christ? Remember who you are. Be conscious of who you are. We are not debtors to the flesh, and so we no longer live according to the flesh. It is no longer the pattern of our lives. Those old desires They no longer have a place in your life. God has given you new desires. And so we dwell on the things of the Spirit and not on the flesh. 
you now have a life of peace with God and with one another. Listen, your flesh will cry out to you every day, does it not? And it, and it does so in really deceptive ways. Let me just read a few ideas that I came up with that how the flesh will cry out to you on a daily basis. Just go ahead and do this little sin. You deserve it. You deserve it. Life is so hard right now. Like, just God would understand. You just need this little bit of sin in your life. It's not a big deal. He's going to forgive you for it. Just allow it in your life. It's not a big deal. You deserve it. Listen, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody will. You ever hear that? Have you ever told yourself that? If you don't take care of yourself, nobody will. That's self crying out. That's your flesh crying out. Listen, you have a right to be angry. You have a right not to forgive. People, people have been so mean to you, and so you just keep going the way that you're going. On and on go the lies of the flesh. Every day. And you need to cry out back to flesh, I don't owe you anything. Listen, your old master the flesh, one commentator put it like this, the old evil corrupt nature has been nothing but a drag. It has never done a bit of good. If Christ has not saved us, the flesh would have dragged us down to the deepest, darkest, hottest places in hell. Why would you feel obligated to such an enemy. And our flesh is so deceptive. Oh, this time, this time it's actually going to be good for us. Never is it good for us. And so when flesh comes, remember who you are. You're a whole new creation now as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ. Be set free from that old man. And now you're a debtor to the Spirit. He, did you, did you as we were singing that third song today, did you just like strike you? God dwells in us. God dwells in us. If you are in Christ today, that is the reality. So great is your battle that God said, I have to place myself in you in order for you to overcome. And so, but he has, Amen. And so let us walk in that victory. Live consciously each day. Secondly, live cautiously. Live cautiously. Look what it says in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's a word of warning here. Remember, again, he's writing to the, the, the believers in Rome. He's already told us that everyone will die. And this is a subset of that. He's saying, if you do this, you will die. So he's not talking about physical death here. He's talking about eternal death. If you live, if your pattern of life is according to the flesh, you will die. So what are we to think of this? I mean, have we not just spent the first seven chapters of Romans understanding that, that it is by faith that we are justified before God? It's not of works. Have we, have we not learned that we cannot out-sin God's grace? So what is he saying here? What he's saying is a word of warning. If your life is a pattern of, flef, of flesh, if you're dwelling on the flesh continually and you have a pattern in your life and you're, 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 you're spending your, your energy and your desire on the flesh, then be warned that you probably do not have the Spirit of God living within you and you will die. You are on a path to eternal destruction. And so we should all examine our lives. Where am I at? Do I have the Spirit of God living within me? Because if I don't, the word of warning here is that I will die eternally. Murray observes rightly, the believer's once for all death to the law and to sin does not free him from the necessity of mortifying sin in his members. It makes it necessary and possible for him to do so. And so, 
as a child of God, if I now have the Spirit of God living within me, I ought not to live for the flesh, I ought to live now by the power of the Spirit. And part of the fight, part of the war, is to remember that you're not in heaven yet. I don't think we need to to be reminded of that too much, right? We're not in heaven yet, and so what? You have enemies coming against you on a daily basis whose whole intention is for you to sin. Do you know your enemies? Are you aware of them on a daily basis? What about the enemy of the world system? I don't know why we're surprised that the world is anti-God. It always has been. It always will be. So the world, the place that you live, is continually having a message to you of anti-God, of anti-word. It's dressed up differently over and over again, but it's the same message over and over again. Do not follow God's word. So as you go through this world, I wonder if you have a filter. When you're watching whatever you watch, whether you're surfing the internet, whether you're watching TV, whether you're listening to music, whether you're watching the news, whether you're coming to church, do you have a filter on? Are you just kind of like, I'm just accepting everything that they're saying? It's a one-way conversation. It's just all their information coming to me, and I'm just going to accept it. Or do you have a filter on? When you go to school, do you have a filter on? Are you comparing what is being said with what God's Word says? I should have wrote the Word on this filter so you'd understand, okay? Everything, everything that's coming, right? Everything is coming at you. Do you compare it to what the Word of God says? You have to. If if you're not, you're going to be losing the battle. You're going to be losing the war. It's shocking to see Christian colleges, churches, and individual Christians blindly accepting the messaging of the world without considering what the Bible has to say in order to be accepted by the world. Well, we don't really want to stick out and we don't want to be known as intolerant or whatever negative word they can come up with. So we're just going to change what we think a little bit. We don't really reject the Bible. We're just, we're just, you know, we're just understanding it differently now. They say that the average Christian college that starts out conservative, solid, biblical, within 50 years it will become liberal. What happens? They stop living by this book and letting this be the guide. In your battle, as you live cautiously, you need to understand that the messaging that you receive on a daily basis is anti-God, and you must know the Word of God if you are going to win the battle against sin. That's your first enemy. Your second enemy are the demonic powers. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, that your battle is not with flesh and blood. Let's listen to what it says, Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual war going on continually, and, it, and when you look at Ephesians 6, he says, so you better put the armor on every day. When you wake up in the morning, you are not on vacation, you are at war. I've already mentioned that the, the whole world system's against you, but so is the principalities of the powers of the air. Paul, or sorry, Peter gives us this picture of this battle in, a, in 1 Peter 5, 8. 
First Peter 5, 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Like, if there was a lion loose in this school, do you think you might be a little cautious? Right? Kind of watching what's going on, being on guard, being alert. This is the picture, Christian. Be alert. Be aware. Satan wants to trip you up. He wants to destroy your life. And he's got all his demons with him to do so. And so, remember that you have an enemy in the demonic powers, in the world system, and, listen, the fleshly rebellion. We've only been learning about it for, like, what, since September in the book of Romans, over and over again. We don't need to go over this again. From Romans 1 right through 7, he's like, listen, your flesh isn't good. It is continually rebellious. We are not basically good people. We are bad people who are rebellious against a holy, good God. And so you got to be on guard against your flesh on a daily basis too. You're not a debtor to it, but it's not going to tell you that. It wants you to continue to do what it tells you to do. Think again of, of this picture of sin in Genesis 4-7. Listen to what God said to Cain. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Do you see this picture of a battle? Do you see this picture of being aware of what your enemy is trying to do in your life? Three great enemies against you on a daily basis trying to get you off the Great Commission and on to focusing on yourself and, over, and, and giving yourself over to sin. These enemies are ever-present and will be until the day you die. It's going to be one of the joys of heaven. <laughs> All those guys are gone. But from now until the day you die, you have sin, Satan, and the world crouching at your door, ready to pounce. Again, like a, 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 a picture of a lion. You and I, on our own, against a lion, we're not going to do too well, right? Is that not true? Not too many people are like, yeah, I, I beat the lion, right? In the Bible, there's a couple of guys, right? But, right? but that's, that's an exception. But listen, you and I don't need to go and find a plot of land in the Northwest Territories and live in a little commune. Because why? You have the Lion of Judah with you. And that lion defeats all enemies. And so the third thing you need to do is you need to live combatively. You need to live combatively. You can't be on mission when you have no unsaved people around you. And you can't escape sin. I already just revealed it's right here, right? It's in the flesh. So let us not be in the retreat mode. Let's get going and on attack mode for the sake of the kingdom. So let's live combatively. Let's, again, look at verse 13. But, so he said, don't live according to the flesh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Three things I want us to think about in living combatively. First, walk humbly. Walk humbly. If you're going to, to, to be combative as you ought to be, you need to start with understanding you can't do it. It starts by understanding we can only do it by the Spirit. We can only do it as we we look to God. Eugene Peterson's bio, it talks about Peterson describing his morning prayer routine as an anticipation of following Jesus for the next 18 hours or so. Isn't that a great way to look at life? Get up in the morning, marching orders, the King of kings and Lord of lords is, I get to follow him now 
for the next 16 to 18 hours. I'm ready. I'm going to armor up, and I'm ready to fight for you, Lord. But not in my flesh. Not in my flesh. It must be by His Spirit. Did you note that? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Be humble about your abilities. I mean, how many times, let's just be honest, how many times do you have a period of victory over sin in your life and, and then you start thinking, wow, look at me. Look what I'm doing. And the only reason you had the original victory is because you were down on your knees daily before the Lord saying, I can't do it. Lord, you have to help me. Only by your power can I overcome this temptation. And so you have to continue in that. Every day you have to understand that it's only through him that you can have the battle over sin in your life. Only through him can you put sin to death in your life. And so be humble. Be humble before the Lord. When you sin, be quick to confess it to him. Be quick to confess it to him. Don't make excuses as to why it was okay you sinned or as to why you stumbled. Confess it for what it is. When we confess, what are we doing? We're agreeing with God. God, what you say is sin, is sin, and I did it. And I feel the weight of it, God. We ought to feel the weight of it. It's not okay that I would sin against you, a holy God. Please forgive me. And then get up in repentance and say, Spirit of God, lead me now. Walk humbly before God. Walk humbly before one another. I've said this many times, but we are not in heaven, and so I know we all have sin in our lives. Let's stop pretending that we don't, and let's be humble before one another and get each other's help. We're going to look at more of this in just a moment, but we need each other. So let's be humble before one another. Let's be open with our struggles. Let's welcome prayer. Let's lovingly confront one another and spur one another on in our battle against sin. Only our pride prevents us from having the body of Christ in this battle that you and I all face. Remember, your sin problem is so bad that the Father had to send the Son to die for your sin, to take your sin upon Himself, to die and, and then on the third day rise again, and then send His Spirit to live within you. So let us walk humbly before Him. John Owen says this, All other ways of mortification are vain. All helps leave us helpless. It must be done by the Spirit. And so every day, walk humbly. Secondly, walk wisely. Walk wisely. How many times do you wind up in trouble simply by the places and circumstances you put yourself in? You're like walking around like, you know, it's your first, first rodeo, right? First time you've ever you know, live this earth, you know, like, oh, except for the last hundred times you put yourself in that situation, it didn't go well. Let us walk wisely. John Owen says this, let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. These two are too closely united to be separated. He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root. And so, Live wisely. Understand who you are. Understand when you're vulnerable to temptation. Some of you have probably heard the analogy of halt. Halt. When I'm hungry, I'm more tempted to sin. I'm weaker in my fight against the flesh when I'm hungry. What are you doing in those times? Maybe grab a granola bar, right? Rather than being short with your wife or your children because your tummy's hungry, right? We all do it. 
So let us be wise. Let us be aware when that stomach starts growling and maybe you don't have that granola bear bar that you need to get down on your knees and say, Spirit of God, I know I'm vulnerable right now. Help me in my fight against the flesh. Halt, angry. For being honest, not too many of us can claim righteous anger, but it does exist. Anger, the, the emotion, it, it ought to be used for good. When we see injustice, when we see sin in this world, it ought to stir us to anger so that we would do something about it. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so when you see injustice and when you see immorality and ungodliness and every other sin, let that anger well up within you and then act accordingly. But do not let it dwell within you. Do not let that anger dwell within you. Because why? Because it will give Satan an opportunity to turn that into bitterness and complaining. Stott talking about this. He says, the opportunity for the devil. He loves to lurk around angry people, hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage by provoking them into hatred or violence or a breach of fellowship. Be on guard when you're angry, hungry, angry, lonely. You are vulnerable when you're lonely. Your flesh sounds a lot louder when you're lonely. We convince ourselves that no one cares about our current situation. And so we seek out love and companionship from the world. Many times you can feel lonely in a crowd. Why is that? I think the reason is, is because that loneliness you're feeling can only be fulfilled by one. And that is the Lord God. And so we need to turn to Him when we're feeling lonely, we need to embrace our relationship with Him. When you neglect your relationship with the Lord, it's when you're most vulnerable to loneliness and to the temptations that would come with that. Be on guard when you have feelings of loneliness. And then tired. When we're tired, we'll, we're again, we're vulnerable to temptation. What do we do when we're tired? Ah, I'm just going to flip on the TV. I'm just going to scroll through the internet. I'm just going to look at the social media. I'm just going to, and we don't have the filter on, and we just let the temptation come. If you're tired, go to bed. If you're tired, get on your knees before the Lord. If you're tired, pick up your Bible. You need to understand that you're vulnerable for temptation in those times. Know yourself. Know that when you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired, that you're prone to temptation. Listen, when did Satan come and tempt Christ? After 40 days, by himself, in the wilderness with no food, hungry, lonely, tired. But what did Christ do? He took up the sword in his battle against Satan. He knew the word well. And so as you see with each temptation, he started with this, as it is written. And then he refuted Satan, so too should you and I. When temptation comes, you need to know this book. You ought to memorize it. You ought to meditate on it. You ought to study it. It is how you win the battle against sin. It's how Christ did, and it's how you and I need to. In those times when we're vulnerable, we need to do what James 4, 7 says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
memorize that scripture. When the temptation comes, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And what? He has to flee. When your flesh is saying you have to listen, when you feel like there's no way out, memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Take up the sword of the Spirit in your battle against flesh. Know when you're vulnerable. Guards in your lives. Walk wisely. Do not be foolish. I've been in ministry since 95. How many times have I seen families devastated because of men and women being unwise in their relationships with one another? Oh, it won't happen to me. That's for other people. I, I could never fall like other people do. So it's okay for me to have close friendships with someone of the opposite sex. It's totally fine. It's okay. It will never happen to me. You're a fool. And I'm just saying this morning, if that's you, wise up. God is warning you. You cannot continue to put yourself in harm's way and think it will go well. Husbands and wives, talk to each other. That's homework this week. Talk to each other. What's the guards in our lives? How are we protecting each other's purity? Mike Pence, 2017, he was being mocked out. Why? Because... He said that he would never eat alone with a woman other than his wife. And he would not attend any event featuring alcohol without her by his side. He's got guards in his lives. He, 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 in his life. He's not, he's not waiting to see whether or not he can overcome the temptation by being a fool. He is setting up guards beforehand, and so too should you and I. Married people, husbands, wives, Get guards up now. Single people, how are you guarding your purity in your life? Do you have people in your life that know your schedule, know what you're doing with your life, know about what you're doing in your, in your lonely times? You need to protect your purity. Live with wisdom. We think about sexual tempt temptation. What's the key word from the Bible? Flee. Flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Joseph didn't sit down and have a little counseling session with Potiphar's wife. He got out of there. He left. He ran. And so, too, should you and I live wisely. Know when you're vulnerable and get guards up in your life. And then lastly, walk ruthlessly. Ruthlessly. What am I saying? Look what the text says. What are you to do with sin? Tame it? Put it in a cage? It says to kill it. You must kill your sin. John Owen put it like this. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Being always at it whilst you live, cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, it, or it will be killing you. It starts with a, a healthy dose of hatred of sin. Do you hate sin? As you consider its devastating effects, as you consider how it's opposed to a good, holy God, do you hate it or do you coddle it? It's okay. It's not a big deal. It's just a little thing. 
We must kill it. There's this great picture in my mind that I get from 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, 32 to 33. The picture there was Saul. He was told to go and destroy the people of Amalek. They had been against God's people. They had not done what they ought to do. And so God calls Saul, I want you to destroy that entire city. I want you to destroy everything they have. What does Saul do? He disobeys. And so Samuel comes along. He confronts Saul in his sin. And he tells him what God's judgment is against him as a result of that sin. And then he calls for the king. I read from verse 32. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites." And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made woman childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Do you see the violence? That picture, hacking the king to pieces. When you consider sin, that should be your mentality. Hacking it to pieces. Not giving it any room in your life, but being defiant by the power of God in your life. Stott puts it like this. We must totally repudiate everything we know to be wrong and not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is not an unhealthy form of repression, pretending that evil does not exist in us, and refusing to face it. It is the opposite. We have to pull it out, look at it, denounce it, hate it for what it is, and then you will have really dealt with it. We need to be as, as extreme as what Christ says in Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than to lose your whole body and be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw away, throw it away, for it is better that you would lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And we know Jesus isn't talking about literally cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye. He's saying, but be extreme in your dealing with sin. Do not give it any place. You must kill it. You have all the weapons at your disposal. God has given you his spirit. God lives within you. And so do not ever think that the, the temptation is ever too high. He is there. And the, he, he, he gives you the ability to, to put these deeds of the body to death. Before the new covenant, we did not have the Spirit, but we do now have Him living within us. God has given you His Word. As I've said, study, memorize it. Know it well for you to go as you go into the battle. God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ. They're part of the army of God. Go to war together. Spur one another on. Encourage the faint-hearted. Correct the wanderer. Pray for one another. Pray, pray, pray. Are we so defeated because we spend so little time in prayer? James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let us be lifting one another up that we might be holy as he is holy, that we might walk as he calls us to walk. We need to do it often, Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let us live combatively. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Live as Christ would want you to live in this life and then life for all of eternity. John Owen says this, the vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on our mortification of the deeds of the flesh. Fight.
fight, fight. That's what you got to wake up saying. You're at war. I get it. Everything in us wants a vacation. Everything in us wants it to be easy. Everything in us wants to, to, to just be this smooth path, but that's not reality. It's not reality. It never will be reality until Christ comes again. And so, wake up and fight each day. Pray. Setting your heart before Him. Relying on the Spirit of God in your life. As you go out, keep your filter with you. The Word of God control your thinking. And then, let your walk match your talk and proclaim the glorious gospel to this lost and dying world. Let us see people saved. If you think about that, that battle analogy, as we leave here, let us march off to war, right? And we're going to come back, we're going to have some wounds, right? In war, there are wounds. We're going to come in with some wounds from a hard week against the flesh, against the world, against Satan. We're going to get bandaged up here together, and then we're going to go back out again. We're going to repeat this until he returns. Amen? You are warriors. Live accordingly. Live consciously. That is, remember who you are in him. Live cautiously. Don't be a fool. And live combatively. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning. Lord, we do thank you that you have given us everything that we need in the battle against sin. Lord, we thank you that the enemies of this world of the flesh and of Satan, have been defeated. They've been defeated by Jesus Christ. Lord, you have come and you have overcome sin and death. Lord, help us to live like that. Help us to live the life, Lord, that you've set apart for us. Lord, help us to spur one another on and encourage one another. And when we see someone in danger, let us run to them and help them. Lord, we love you. Lord, we pray that you would be, you would be glorified in and through us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.